0: Hey, there you are. Welcome back. This is the third episode of the Old Head Podcast. I am Stephen, and I want to thank everyone for listening, and thanks for the feedback and suggestions. If you want to give me some suggestions or feedback or criticism, you can do that by leaving a comment below if you're listening to this on YouTube. Or you can email me at oldheadpodcast at gmail.com. I welcome anything you guys can send me. And on that note, today's episode actually did stem from a suggestion I got, and that was to cover grunge. So we're going to talk about that. And of course, I'm not claiming to be an expert on anything I talk about. I'm just sort of throwing my own perspective at you guys and... uh Please feel free to throw yours back at me, however you want. So let's get into a little bit of the seeds of the grunge sound. So there are two key albums that I would consider to be very important in the development of what the grunge sound became. So the first one is an album from 1971, And that is the album Master of Reality from Black Sabbath. Now, the reason I think that's important is because the sound of that album is very dirty and the guitars have kind of a fuzzy distortion. It's a real bottom-heavy album. And I think bottom-heavy is a very important part of the grunge sound. The second album that I think is very important is the album My War from 1984. That's by the band Black Flag, if you don't already know. Now, both of these albums, Master of Reality and My War, can also be attributed to other types of metal subgenres, like your Sludge and maybe even your Doom and things like that. But they all have like a common element of this sort of heavy gloominess and a lot of that would later be heard in a lot of the prominent bands of the grunge genre. So at this point I think it's important to try and sum up what the grunge sound actually is and I always hear it as a combination of metal sort of your traditional metal, your Sabbath kind of thing. Hardcore punk, which is where Black Flag comes in. And then you have a little bit of post-punk, which that covers your bands like Gang of Four and Wire. I think all of those things together created that grunge sound. And the first, I guess, prominent release that had that sound was the 1985 EP Come On Down from the band Green River. Now, members of Green River would later on form Mudhoney, and then some of them would be involved with Pearl Jam. Obviously, that's a big grunge name, but we haven't gotten that far yet. So then we come to 1986, and in 1986, an EP was released... By a band called Melvins. And the Melvins, to me, are one of the quintessential grunge bands. Now that may not ring true for people that got into quote-unquote grunge later on down the line. But that early Melvins sound from the first EP, the first album, Gluey Porch Treatments, which came out in 87... That sound, to me, is kind of the primal grunge sound. And then in 1987, you had an album released by the band Skinyard, and Skinyard later became Grunt Truck, but they're also a very important band to the beginnings of grunge. But then in 1988, you had the first album from one of the big grunge bands that everyone thinks about. In 1988, Soundgarden released Ultra Mega OK. And they were doing much more of the metal side of the grunge sound. It was a bigger sound, still really heavy and gloomy. And obviously, Chris Cornell's vocals are unlike anybody else's. So they were kind of unique, even though they lived in that grunge scene. And then... 1989, we get another one, another first from arguably the biggest band of the grunge era. In 1989, the album Bleach from Nirvana was released. And Bleach is a very interesting album because it doesn't really sound that much like the other two albums that Nirvana would eventually release. I guess you could argue that none of the albums really sound like each other. And that's a good thing. But anyway, Nirvana comes out and then soon after that in 1990, we get the debut from another big grunge band and that's Alice in Chains when they released the album Facelift. So the important thing, which is kind of a duh kind of fact that I'm going to throw at you, but you have to keep in mind that all of these bands that I just named, Green River, Melvin, Skinyard, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, All from Seattle. So this really was a regional sound. And then all of a sudden, in 1991, things changed, in my opinion. The grunge sound, which was a heavy and dirty and gloomy and lo fi kind of sound, all of a sudden started to change. And that was with the release of two quintessential albums. One of those is Nevermind from Nirvana, obviously a huge album, and then the album 10 from Pearl Jam. So now that I'm mentioning Pearl Jam and I'm just coming out from speaking about all these other early Seattle bands, I have to mention Mother Love Bone very quickly. And I say quickly because Mother Love Bone is not a grunge band. They were way more on the 80s hard rock tip of things. And that brings up a very interesting theory that I have. And that is that grunge music in general would not have seen the success that it saw if not for the death of Andrew Wood of Mother Lovebone. Now, hear me out. So Mother Love Bone was this band that was signed to a major. They were going places. They had a lot of hype behind them. They were a fucking good band. But their lead vocalist, Andrew Wood, died of an overdose. And because of that, the rest of the band members ended up finding Eddie Vedder and forming Pearl Jam. And Pearl Jam was what the grunge sound was moving towards. It wasn't really that heavy and gloomy it had more in common with arena rock than it did with the early grunge sound but it was closer to the grunge sound maybe because of eddie Vedder. i'm not quite sure eddie Vedder wasn't even from seattle but if andrew wood had not died mother love bone i'm assuming would have continued and they would have been a band that would have fallen in with your Faster pussy cats and Enough z They were hard rock bands, but they weren't necessarily hair bands. And if grunge had happened, Mother Love Bone would have been destroyed by the grunge scene. But the other part of my theory is not that grunge would have ended Mother Love Bone. I think that the continuation of Mother Love Bone would have made it to where grunge did not have the impact that it ended up having. And that is because, if you think about those two big albums in 1991, Nirvana Nevermind, Pearl Jam 10. So you take Nirvana's Nevermind. It was It's a big album, but there are elements of that that are still grungy, still hardcore, still punk. They're screaming in it. It's aggressive. But on the Pearl Jam side of things, they were able to reach across the aisle to other rock fans and even fans of other music. Eddie Vedder didn't scream. There wasn't any crazy discordant solos on any Pearl Jam music. It's pretty traditional. So because of the almost simultaneous success of both Nirvana and Pearl Jam, the quote-unquote grunge scene was able to explode in the way that it did. But, unfortunately, we did lose Andrew Wood, and here we are. So let's go back to where we were there, though. There was a shift in the sound of grunge due to the success of Nevermind and Ten. And another factor started to work its way in in 1991, and that was that Bands from outside of the Seattle area that shared a similar sound started to show up. The number one out of those bands for me is Chicago's Smashing Pumpkins who released their album Gish in 91. A very similar sound. Bottom heavy, gloomy. It's it's grunge. But at that point, Smashing Pumpkins hadn't blown up yet. But in 92 you had two albums released that marked kind of the end of the original scene and the beginning of the second wave. And so in 1992, the album Dirt from Alice in Chains was released. That's my favorite Alice in Chains album. It is incredible. It is heavy and weird, but at the same time, strangely mainstream. It's Hard to explain how an album like that existed and became popular, but I just love that it exists. And then also in 1992, you had the debut album from the band Stone Temple Pilots. New to the scene, from California, not Seattle. And they were, at the time, seen as a little bit derivative even though there really wasn't a lot of history for them to pull from. So I think it was just like-minded bands coming out of different places. But either way, a lot of other non-Seattle bands that sounded kind of like other bands started to show up at around this point. But I have to stop for a second because it is important to note that even though the grunge sound was kind of becoming a little bit more mainstream and kind of branching out, there were other bands that were still keeping that heavy-ass shit going. And this is when I have to mention the band Tad, one of my favorite grunge bands and another of the quintessential-sounding grunge bands, in my opinion. They released their first album, God's Balls, in 1989, But in 1993, they released the album Inhaler, which was still maintaining that fucking heavy sound. And at that point, aside from Alice in Chains and the Melvins, who released Houdini in 1993, a lot of the other bands, Soundgarden, even Alice in Chains, were experimenting with sort of the softer side or more experimental and not necessarily keeping things to that Original grunge sound. But this was all considered grunge because all of these bands were quote unquote grunge bands. So the grunge sound was shifting to becoming this alternative rock hybrid sound, which, funny enough, alternative was no longer alternative because originally the term alternative referred to the fact that the music was an alternative to what was being played on the radio or in the mainstream. But by 1993, also, you had the self-titled debut album from Candlebox, another of the second wave of the quote-unquote grunge bands. And Candlebox had way more in common with Pearl Jam than they did with Nirvana or Soundgarden or anything. And then from that point, there were a whole lot of also-ran kind of grunge-ish bands in 1995, Silver Chair released their first album. That's pretty grungy in sound, but at the time it was almost like, didn't we already have this? In hindsight, it's a pretty good record. But at the time, there was a whole lot of albums coming out from bands that sounded like some other band. So that's probably why the genre kind of started to lose steam. Now, that brings us to a, uh, an interesting point, which is my perspective on the whole thing, because while all of this was happening, I was in my early teens. I didn't really know about the grunge thing until I started to see music videos on MTV from these artists. And it's really important to note that these artists originally were played on Headbangers Ball, a heavy metal show on MTV. So, from my perspective, I was watching Headbangers Ball because I want to see Metallica and Anthrax and Iron Maiden and what have you. But all of a sudden, in the late 80s, you started to see videos from Jane's Addiction, from Soundgarden, from Alice in Chains. And all this stuff was presented to me not as... Here's this other type of music that's supposed to be separate from all this metal. It was presented to me as, hey, here's another subgenre of metal. It's called grunge. It's coming from Seattle. So all of these things in my particular field of vision seemed related. So I was as equally excited about Nirvana as I was about Metallica because it all... Was heavy music and it all seemed related in certain ways. And you could clearly draw comparisons from thrash metal bands to grunge bands. There was a lot of the, we don't need to dress up all fancy to play this music. There was a lot of aggressiveness in the music and it was a scene. You would look at dudes who were in thrash metal bands and you would say that those guys are in a thrash metal band. Same thing with. Guys in a grunge band. You'd be like, oh, those guys are probably in a grunge band. So it all just seemed like different subgenres of metal. And that's kind of how I still view it to this day. It's all music that I relate together. But unfortunately, in the early to mid-90s, a lot of these artists seem to want to distance themselves from metal. And I guess I get it. Because a lot of metal looks like you know Neanderthal morons and shit like that. And then, of course, you had hair metal. So, yeah, I, I totally get it. But you can't forget that Mother Love Bone was one of those other kinds of bands. And they are directly responsible for Pearl Jam, which is half of what is directly responsible for the success of Grunge. So, anyway... That's really all I can sort of say about the history of grunge, but I think it's important to point out that that original sound that I was referring to when it comes to grunge music, that original sound is not really heard anymore. There are a lot of bands who are promoted with the word grunge, but really they're just some sort of alternative rock or indie rock or post-hardcore, some sort of amalgamation of different genres that all just ends up being some sort of alternative rock music. A lot of the quote-unquote grunge bands from today, the bottom heaviness is not there. The moodiness is not there. It seems like those two things have been discarded in favor of a more lo-fi garage rock kind of sound, which is fine, but it ain't grunge. So if anything, hopefully this episode has kind of explained why I think grunge in general is a very unique thing and something that should be cherished. You should go back and listen to all those old grunge albums from the late 80s and the early 90s. It's all incredible music, that existed in this little bubble of time, and I think we're all better people for it. So, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Old Head by giving you a recommendation. And it is a recommendation of a band that I've seen that grunge term used on, although I don't think it's entirely appropriate, but that band is The Primals, and they released an album this last year called All Love is True Love. And it's interesting because the Primals are actually a band fronted by the vocalist for the band Darkest Hour, which is a metalcore band, but this band is very not metalcore. It is probably as close to grunge as you're going to get these days. And honestly, any description that I could give you would probably not do it justice. I would say just go and look them up. The Primals, the album is all love, is true love. It's amazing. Give it a shot. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about the whole episode in the comments below. Make sure you like it. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you send me an email, oldheadpodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. And uh, spread the word. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next time. Bye.